Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Now I'm excited about today because we are in episode three and I pray that you have been blessed by the first two episodes, the first two installments of this identity series where we have really been talking about you know, who are we really and what is God trying to do in our life and how do we actually overcome sin? Many of you all have reached out to me via text message and phone calls and just share with me how blessed you were by the messages. And for that, I am just so grateful and I praise God. And I want to encourage you to share because these messages are literally transformational and not just because I'm preaching them, but they're transformational because it's truth coming straight from the word of God. This is what the devil doesn't want us to understand about who we are. And this is what God has from the very beginning tried to get us to understand about who we are. And so we're finally getting to that point where we're peeling back the lies of the enemy and we're peeling back the how the devil has has um, really set us up for failure and is trying to take advantage of us. And we are coming out of this thing stronger because we have a clear sense of who we are in Christ. And so we're going to jump in to the message today. But before we do that, I want to just have a word of prayer with you. Can you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you again just for uh, this opportunity that you've given us to open your word. And as we open your word, God, I just pray that you would open our hearts, that we would perceive what the Spirit is trying to say to us in this place. And um, that you will be glorified, that the people who are watching, whether they're at their home, whether they're taking a walk, whether they're watching on a TV screen or their phone, or they're just listening to the audio version through their headphones, God, that you would just allow this message to pierce the lies and to debunk the lies that the enemy has told us and that we might have a clear picture of who we are in Christ Jesus. God, this is my prayer. Please hear us. We thank you for hearing us and for being with us in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're obviously, like I said, we're here at Living Springs and I'm not alone. I do have a few people who are here with me. You won't see them, but you might hear them. Paula is here and Stephen is here and Ray is here and they're just here helping get everything set up with the cameras and everything. Um, but it's good to have at least a few people in the audience that I can at least look at and point to. But I definitely look forward to that day when everyone will be able to come back into this space. Now, I want to jump in. And before we do that, I just want to take a minute and just kind of recap where we've been so far um, in this. This has been the framework that we have largely operated off of for, our, for throughout this series. And the idea behind this framework, and we're calling this the identity cycle. The idea behind it is that all of us, we hear these voices that are kind of floating around. They kind of come and go through our mind. And when we latch on to those voices and we start entertaining those voices and pondering those voices, those voices then don't just become random um, voices in our head, but they actually become our thoughts. When you start thinking about it and dwelling on it, it becomes our thoughts. And the longer you think about something and the longer you dwell on something, it then kind of turns into our beliefs. And it's at that level that these beliefs become ingrained in who we are. And then we act out of our beliefs. 
And so this is really how our identity is formed and established. And so the devil knows that if he can get us to, if he can intercept or plant some negative voices or some lies in our, in our mind, and then we dwell on these lies, we think on these lies, we ponder these lies, we ruminate on these lies. He knows that we can form, that he can form an entire belief system inside of us that is built on a set of lies that eventually we will begin to act out and operate from these lies. This is really what we call your, your, your core operating system, right? And so he, if he can convince you that you're not good enough, if, if you hear a voice in your mind saying, oh, you're going to fail, then we start thinking about that. And then we start embracing that. And we live into that. We believe it. It becomes a part of our operating system so that when we go through the various situations and circumstances of life, we have this core belief that I am a failure or I'm, going, or I'm not going to succeed. And we start to act. And that informs how we act in certain situations. We, we, establish, we establish through this, um, the last two episodes, is that you will live up to or down to whatever you believe you are. And so if you believe you're successful, if you believe you are um, righteous, if you believe that you are an overcomer, then you will live up to that. But at the same time, if you don't believe that you are righteous and if you believe that you're a sinner and you don't believe that you are saved, but you believe that you have to work towards your salvation, then you will unfortunately also live up to that. And then we said in the mind, this was last week, in the mind is where the transmission of God's plan either succeeds or fails. That's why the devil is so intent on attacking our thoughts, attacking us with these lies, because he knows that if he can get us to buy in to these lies, then in the mind is where God's plan for our life, it will fail. There's a book I mentioned last week called Battlefield of the Mind. I think that's the name of it. Battlefield of the Mind. And the whole idea is that, that our success in this life and our entering into what God has in store for us in the next life is largely determined by what goes on in our mind. We also established last week that this is how God desires us to operate in our lives. He desires us to recognize who we are at our core, that this is who I am. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus was baptized and he heard the father say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then right after that moment, the devil started tempting him and asking him, well, if you are really the son of God, because the devil constantly tries to get us to, to um, uh, look at our identity as though it is informed or shaped by our activity. But God says, no, your identity is based off of who I am and what I say about you. And then from that, act, from that identity flows activity. And so this is where we have been. And I pray that you've had a chance to watch the previous two messages. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and you can check them out there because they are really foundational to and fundamental to where we are going, where we're going today. You know, as I think about today's message um, and I was just really praying about it and processing it throughout this week, I felt like today um, I just want to entitle this message distorted from the beginning. And the reason why I want to call it distorted from the beginning is because I think about my daughters, specifically my youngest daughter, Elise. And there's something very interesting about her that just has like 
that blows my mind, something that she does. So she's only four years old. She just turned four um, about a month ago. But this actually started happening maybe a year ago around her third birthday. She started doing something that I thought was interesting. Um, her mother and I would have a conversation with her or we would say, hey, Elise, we want you to go do you know, A, B, or C. We want you to do something. Maybe we want you to go upstairs and, and, and get us something or we want you to you know, put this away or clean up this thing or, 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 or do this activity. And it seems like out of nowhere, she started having like these self-defeating thoughts. And these self-defeating thoughts, she started to verbalize. She started saying things like, well, I don't think I can do it, or I'm not good enough, or I, I think I'm going to fail. And she was like saying this repeatedly as we were like giving her some things to do. And this wasn't like chores, right? She's three years old, right? But no, these were like, hey, let's go, let's go and let's jump from this, you know, from the patio and let's do some things. And it's things that are like so designed for three-year-olds, right? But for whatever reason, there was just some type of inhibition kind of inside of her that rose up whenever we kind of placed her in challenging situations. And she just had this idea that, you know what? Like there's something fundamentally wrong with me that I cannot and I cannot achieve this. And as like her mother and I were talking about it, it's like, you know what? Like where did these thoughts come from? Where did this happen? How did she get to this point? Because I've never told her she couldn't do it. Her mother has never told her she couldn't do it. I mean, obviously her sisters, they, they tease each other. But to a degree, they've never spoken like, like negativity towards her or directed any type of defeatist mentality or words towards her. Where did this come from? And it's just clear as we kind of see her growing that there is just in her some thread, some shred of, of doubt that somehow it was planted in her spirit. It reminded me of what David says in Psalms 51, how we are born in sin and we are shaped in iniquity, that even when we come out of our parents' womb, we come out with this orientation towards sin, with a false identity, that from the beginning, that there is a distortion of identity. And some of you all and your kids or you yourself may have been more confident when you were a child, so you may not have wrestled with that particular identity distortion, but all of us have experienced somewhere along the way, we have all picked up a false identity that the devil has been intentional about weaving into the fabric, into the fiber of who we are. And we, to a large degree, have lived our lives out of that identity. And so what God is trying to do is he's trying to he's trying to get us to unweave that false identity from around our hearts and from around our characters to help us to truly understand who we are. Because this is this is the truth. Right. I want you to catch this, that at the end of the day, the devil knows who you are. Like, like let's just talk about it for a moment. Right. I know you can't talk back to me, but the devil knows who you are. The devil knows that you are forgiven. Like the devil knows that you are powerful beyond measure. The devil knows that you have potential. The devil knows that, that, that you are an overcomer. He knows all of these things about you. He knows that you are called. He knows that you are redeemed. He knows that you are more than a conqueror. He knows that your name, if you've accepted Christ, is written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows that, that nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. He knows all of these truths about you. And yet, even though he knows this or because he knows this, he also recognizes that his only 
his only tactic, his only strategy to try to somehow convince you or to how to some to try to somehow lodge you from the father's hand to somehow get you to abort your salvation or your position in Christ. The only way that he can accomplish that is to discourage you. He knows he knows he can't do it on his own. He knows it has to be an inside job. You have to be the one who, who relinquishes your salvation. You have to be the one to relinquish your birthright. You have to be the one to let go of the position that Christ died to give you. He can't take it from you. You have to willingly give it up. And the only way he knows that you will willingly give it up is if he can discourage you to the point where you actually don't think you have it or you don't think you deserve it. This is actually what he tried to do with Jesus. And I just want to show you this real quick. So in Luke in chapter 4, verse 31, I just want to show you something happens. The text says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And then it says, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon. So Jesus comes to Capernaum. He comes to the church. He comes to the synagogue. And the text says that in the synagogue, there was a, a demon-possessed man, right? Uh, this man had an impure spirit. And then this spirit cries out and says something to Jesus. And I want, I want you to see it. He says, go away. This is, what this, this is what the demon says to Jesus through the man. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then check this, like, like don't, don't miss this. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Like, like I, I really want you to understand that while you're walking around unsure of your identity and unsure of who you are and unsure of your potential, the devil is very clear on who you are. The same way he knew who Jesus was. He says, he says, I know who you are. And I just want to let you know right now that the devil also knows today who you are. And the devil's goal, like I want you to get this. The devil's goal is to make sure you never discover who you are. That's his goal. He says, listen, if these folk recognize that they have all power and authority, if these people recognize that they have all of the resources of heaven at their disposal, if these people recognize who they really are in Christ, like there's no hope for me. And so his entire strategic plan, his entire process, his entire method of operation is to somehow get us to the point where he will convince us that we are not who Christ really called us to be, that we are something else. And so this is what he does. He places challenges in front of us because he knows that if he can place enough challenges in front of us, enough roadblocks, enough barriers, enough, enough um, situations around us, that if he can place challenges around us and that those challenges and we're not sure of who we are, that we will stumble over those challenges. I, I put it like this because I'm a visual learner and you might be a visual learner like me, like literally, like he knows like, okay, let me, let me bombard them with varying challenges. So I'm gonna put challenges like on their job and challenges in their marriage and challenges with their children and, and their finances. I'm gonna put challenges with their own health. I'm going to just surround them. I'm going to attack them with life. He knows that if he can attack us with enough life, and if we're not like rooted, steadfast, firm, like, like anchored down in who we are, he knows inevitably those challenge will, challenges will eventually lead to the point where we are so discouraged, and it's through the discouragement that he can bring about our destruction. 
He recognizes that he can't just come and grab us from the Father. He can't just destroy us. It is something that we freely have to give up. We have to abdicate our position in Christ. We have to walk out on who God has called us to be. We have to cast off this identity that we have in Christ. And we have to embrace another. We have to live under this false identity. He recognizes that that is his only hope. And so that's what he does. That's what he does. He tries to discourage us. And I know if you're watching this right now, in your life, you at some point have been discouraged before. You at some point have questioned, is this even worth it? You at some point have questioned like, God, are you even hearing me? Does this even make sense? You have wondered within yourself as well, God, like, like what are you doing in this thing? Maybe I should just throw in the towel. You at some point have wondered what is going on because the challenges have just seemed too much. And the devil knows that if he can get you to that point, that he almost can lead to your destruction. This, this is what he did with Job. You all remember our friend Job? Job who <laughs> that God gave the devil permission to like strip Job of everything that he had. And Job was like, lost his kids, lost his money, lost his, his land, lost everything. His body is covered in boils. And Job is sitting there and just like, you know what, God, what has happened? And his wife comes out and says to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job, for whatever reason, had the presence of mind to recognize that life does not consist of the, in the abundance of your possessions, that my relationship with God isn't contingent on how well things are going on in the external world. No, that my relationship with God is much deeper. And so Job's response is the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I know who I am in God. This is the same thing that happened with Daniel when Daniel was uh, uh, worshiping God and they made a decree that said, listen, you can only worship the king. But yet Daniel continued to worship God. And they took Daniel and they tried to throw him in the lion's den and, and they tried to discourage. He tried to discourage Daniel thinking that if I can just get Daniel so discouraged because he is living and dwelling in this foreign country, maybe I can get Daniel to throw in the towel on his on his identity and on his position in in God. But Daniel recognized that. No, no, no. No, God has been with me since I left my home country and God is still with me now. I will continue to worship God. And God stepped in and shut the mouths of the lion. This is the same thing that he did with the three Hebrew boys. This is the devil's same tactic throughout all of the Old Testament and much of the New Testament. He steps into our lives, presents challenging situations with the hope that we don't know who we are. And as a result, we give up our position in Christ. We walk away and there are many people who have walked away and many of them have walked away for one of two reasons. They've either walked away because of bad religion and there's a whole lot of bad religion out there or they have walked away because of bad relationships. Most people who at some point were in the church, were in a relationship with God and who have decided to walk away from God walked away because either bad religion or bad relationships. That's why at Relove, I am like so passionate about, about coming to people who have walked away and letting them know that, listen, yeah, there's a lot of bad religion out there, but bad religion doesn't mean that we serve a bad God. Like I want people to know that bad religion isn't about a bad God. No, that we serve a good father who loves you, over, you all know where I'm going with it, over and over and over and over again. 
that we serve a God and that, yeah, we as church folk and human beings, that we aren't perfect. So there are some bad people out there, unfortunately. But don't let bad people disconnect you from a good God. Our God is so loving. He loves you so much. And the devil will send some bad people who will misrepresent who he is. But listen, just pull a little bit closer to relove and just, just hang with us a little while longer. I, I guarantee you that you'll discover, oh, wow, there's some good folk up in here, even virtually. There's some good folk up in here. And that we will, by the grace of God, introduce you and allow you to fall in love again with this good God that we serve. But this is the devil's strategy. This was even his strategy with Jesus. Like if you go back and you look, there's a text here in Matthew in chapter 13. Jesus um, had just finished telling the stories and illustrations and he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. So Jesus went home. And when he got home, when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed, right? So they're listening to this man. And this is what they say about the homeboy, Jesus. Where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles from? Like, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. They're basically saying, boy, we know who you are. We know who you are. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, like, like, like we know, we know him. Like, who does he think he is? So much so that the text goes on to say, and his, and his sisters live right here among us. Where, where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They're basically saying, like, you're acting like someone different than what we know. Like, we know your paternal family, we know your, your, your family of origin, your earthly family of origin, but what they did not understand is that, yeah, I may have been born in this city and these might be my earthly parents, but I have a heavenly father who just declared that I am his son and that he is well pleased with me. Like, they, didn't, they weren't there at the baptism when, in Luke chapter 3 where Jesus heard those words. And so, even the devil in Jesus' life, the people in his own hometown, his own people who he grew up with, they came and they scoffed at him and they were offended by him. And the text goes on to say, then Jesus told them a prophet is, without, is, is, is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Again, the devil is trying desperately to discourage Jesus. And he will use anything and any situation and anyone he can to bring about that discouragement. Jesus brushed it off. He brushed it off because Jesus recognized that, that not only do I know the word, but I know who I am in relation to the word. Okay, so let me, let me say it a little bit differently because I want you to catch it. Like, a lot of us know the word, right? We, we, know, we know the word. We know, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know, you know, um, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Like, we know um, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. We know our God shall supply all of our needs. Like, we know the word. But the question is not, do you know the word? The question is, do you know who you are in relation to the word. See, see, it's one thing to just be able to quote scriptures and know what Jesus says and what the Father says. It's another thing to be able to see yourself 
in that text. And to recognize that when, G, that when the father said, um, um, I will supply all of your needs, he wasn't talking about all in general. He was talking about all in you, that he will literally supply all of your needs. Like it's one thing to know, like, like, like I am more than a conqueror. And I know that up here, it's another thing to know that that's actually who I am in Christ is a conqueror. And so, so I mean, yeah, the devil doesn't mind if you wake up every morning, you have your devotion, as long as you don't discover who you are in relation to the devotion you just had. Like, he doesn't care if you come and you listen to these sermons, as long as you don't discover who you really are in relation to the word that is being preached. As long as you apply the promises of God to everyone else's life or to your life in a general sense and not to your life in a specific sense. Oh, yeah, he's good. He's good. You know? Learn the word. Understand the word. Just don't think it applies to you. Like that is his tactic. And so what Jesus understood and what I want you to understand is not only is the word true, but the word is true for you. Not only is the word true, but it is true for me. And I think the disconnect that we experience is that we hear the word, but then we see our life. And we say like, okay, yeah, I know this is true, but I see my life and I just can't reconcile my life with the word. So yeah, the word is true, but it's not true for me. And that is what the devil is trying to do. And I just want to let you know that yes, the word is true. And yes, your life might be messed up, but the word is also true for you. In fact, if you can just put that in the chat, text that to a family member who maybe may be watching, may not be watching. Just say the word is true for you. I just want you to catch that. Like, I want you to like just let that sink deep into your soul. Let that be ingrained in your spirit and in your beliefs that the word is true for me at my core. Now, I, I want to go just a little bit deeper and then we'll be done. Um, so, so the devil knows that the one of the best ways... To, to, to destroy you is to discourage you. And the way that he discourages you is by placing these challenges in front of you. And he knows that if he places enough challenges that somehow it'll begin to get you to question your identity. And I think that the devil also knows that one of the best ways to get you to question your identity and the ways to get you to distort your identity is to also distort the identity of God. Like, like he knows, like if I can have, if I can get you to have a false picture of who God is, then it'll be very easy for me to have a, get you to have a false picture of who you are. Like, I think, I think, I, in fact, this is his oldest tactic. And it's one that he still uses today. That if I can get you to have a false picture of, of, of who God is, I know it will lead to a false picture of who you are. And we see this. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, like this is where it all starts. And that's why we're talking about distorted from the beginning, because at the very beginning is where he dropped us on our head. And like we haven't been right since, like he shows up in the garden in Genesis three and he starts having a conversation with our first parents, Adam and Eve. And specifically, he's having a conversation with Eve. And, and this is what he says. The text says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, we read this text, but like this, even this one verse is just 
loaded and is just it's, it's filled with such un, with such a strategy of the enemy. I mean, the text literally says that he was more crafty. So he knew what he was doing. He comes to Eve and he he begins to frame what God had said to Eve in a way that God never actually said it to them. In fact, he comes and he he frames it like 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 there is some limitation. He's saying, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? He's taking the very words of Christ, the very words of God, and he's framing them as like God is trying to keep something from you. And yet that's not how God said it at all. Like, because if you just rewind just a little bit to Genesis chapter two, verse 16, where God actually said it, he says, and the Lord God commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. God frames it as liberation. God says, I'm not here to like limit you from anything. I'm here to liberate you. I'm here to really make sure that you understand that that you can eat from every tree. Now, yes, I don't want you to eat from the tree in the middle because if you eat of it, there's going to be some consequences. But he didn't frame this 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 command as a limitation. He framed it. Uh, God God articulated it as a liberating statement. You can eat from whatever tree you want. Just don't go near that one there. The devil shows up and the devil says, Did God say you can't eat from every tree? I want you to understand that at at his core, the devil's desire is to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. A seed of doubt about who he is, that he is not a God of liberation. He wanted to plant a seed of doubt in the minds that, that you serve a God of limitation, that you serve a God who who knows that if you eat this tree, you will be like him and that that God is somehow trying to keep something from you. God doesn't want you to have this knowledge because you'll be on his level and God doesn't want you to be on his level. And so he starts framing God to Adam and Eve, specifically to Eve, as though God is keeping something from her. Eve, intrigued like any person would be intrigued, takes of the fruit eats of it, gives it to her husband, he eats of it, and we ain't never been the same. Because in their minds, the devil had convinced them that God is not a God who is liberating and who is filled with truth and who is filled with grace, but there's a, but you actually serve a God of limitations and he doesn't have your best interest at heart. And that if you want to really thrive in this world, then you have to step outside of your relationship with God and you've got to do it on your own and work it out on for yourself because God's not really looking out for you. And he got Eve, he registered within Eve's mind a false identity of who God was. And because he was able to convince her that God was something other than what God said he was, she then responded and acted differently. She acted out of a false identity. So from the very beginning, the devil has been trying to paint God in this negative light. And the reality is, is that when you listen to the lies of the enemy long enough, Eventually, your thoughts about God and yourself will change. When you listen to the lies of the enemy that you're not smart enough or that you're not good enough or that you're not pretty enough or that you're not 
tall enough, when you listen to the eyes of the enemy that, you're, that, that there's nothing worth, nothing in you worth saving, when you listen to the eyes of the enemy long enough that you have to work for yourself and you have to succeed on your own, that it's a doggy dog world, you have, to, you have to fight for yourself. When you listen to the lies of the enemy long enough, he will eventually convince you that your thoughts about God and yourself are wrong and that they must change. And the lies of the enemy will eventually become your truth. And so many of us have built our houses and our lives and our families on lies from the enemy. But it's not your truth. To think that you're not good enough, that's not your truth. To think that you're not savable, that's not your truth. To think that, that there's something inherently wrong with you, that's not your truth. Even if you might say, well, pastor, I, you don't know my life or you don't know what I've done. Listen, it doesn't matter your life or what you've done. What matters is what God says about you. And that's at the core what I want you to understand, that it's not about your life. It's about God's life. And that as his child, he then takes you and he grafts you in. And he says, this is how I see you. I see you as righteous. I see you as holy. I see you as blameless. Build your life on that truth that you are more than enough. God shows up in that garden and he asks a question. He says to Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you you weren't worthy? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you that you weren't righteous? Who told you that you weren't beautiful? Who told you that you weren't an overcomer? Who told you that you were uh, accused and, and condemned? Who told you these things? Because God shows up to Adam. He's like, Adam, like whatever truth you're living under right now, that truth didn't come from me. Like what, however, whatever lie your house is being built on right now, that, that is not my truth. I'm not bringing that. That's not from me. It's from an enemy. An enemy has done that and he did it for Adam and he has done it to every single person who has ever lived on this planet. And unfortunately, you and I are not exempt from a barrage of his lies for the enemy comes and he lies to us. But the thing is about the enemy is that all he can do is lie. Like that's, 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 his, that's his superpower. <laughs> that's his superpower is lies, right? And, and, and we have the ability to, to fight against him. We have the ability to fight back against the enemy. It's interesting, it's, it, it actually reminds me of, of um, this beautiful, wonderful invention right? Uh, it, in my opinion, it is like the greatest invention. It is the greatest thing that has ever been made, like, like even better than air condition, which I wish we had some right now, like, like better than, than anything we've ever experienced. The greatest invention, and I will fight you on this, the greatest invention, hands down, caller ID. Come on now, somebody. Like, listen, caller ID has to be the greatest invention ever, especially for us introverts. Like, I need to know who's calling me. Like, I need to be prepared. I need to know whether or not I am in a position to answer your call. And most likely, 
I'm not. So you go go to voicemail, right? Like, but caller ID is literally like the greatest thing ever. In fact, I remember when caller ID like first was invented, like first hit the market. I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And I remember it was like a separate device that you would plug into your phone and one end, and then you plug the other end into the wall and you would just look up and it would say like who it was. Do y'all, y'all remember? Y'all remember like when caller ID, some of y'all too young, Paula, you know what I'm talking about. Like I, I remember when it first hit the market, like it was like, wow, I can actually know who's calling and then make a decision on whether or not I want to answer the phone accordingly. But like, Caller ID has gotten so sophisticated now. I remember one time I was, this is years ago, I was pastoring in Mississippi. I had a friend out here in, in LA and I haven't talked to him. I rarely ever talked to him, but I said, you know, I'm gonna give him a call. So I called him and he answered the phone. He was, and I know he did not have my number, like, cause we hadn't talked in years. I got his number, I called him and he answered the phone and said, hey, what's up Seth, man, long time, we haven't talked. And I was like, bro, like, how did you know who, who was calling? He's like, well, it said call from Mississippi and I only know one person who lives in Mississippi and that's you, so I just put two and two together. Like literally, calling, caller ID has gotten so sophisticated, it just doesn't tell your name, it tells where you're calling from, right? Probably because that's where your number is registered from. But nonetheless, it's still the greatest invention ever. In fact, even now, on my cell phone, I get like, if someone calls, my phone, iPhone, I don't know if Android does this. We're going to pray for y'all Android folk. Like my phone will actually tell me like the person who is calling is like potential spam. Like does that, do, do, y'all, do y'all get that? Like it says like potential spam, like, like we don't know who it is and potentially it's someone who's trying to sell you something. So you should just probably hit decline like just right now. And show, show enough, hit decline and I go to my settings and I hit block because I don't want you calling me again. Like, like caller ID has that, that just that beautiful effect upon us that it, it gives us the ability to accept or reject the person who's coming based off of whether or not we want to entertain what they have to say. Oh, y'all missed it. Caller ID lets us know like you can accept this or you can reject this based on the person who's calling. And I just feel like when it comes to our spiritual lives, that too often we just have like an automatic accept when the devil calls. Like the devil calls our life and he starts filling our mind with these lies and we just sitting up here talking about accept, accept, accept. And we are just having a conversation with the enemy while he is filling our mind with lies and untruths to the point where we then embrace them and embody them and we live on them like they are our truth. But they are not. And what I want to say to you is that when the enemy calls and he starts saying anything about you or to you that doesn't line up in the word, if the enemy calls and says that you're condemned, reject. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. If the enemy calls and says you're not worthy, reject. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. If the enemy calls and says you're not saved, reject. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. If the enemy calls and says God doesn't love you, reject. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. If the enemy calls and says any of those things, you're not righteous. Look at your life. Look what you've done. Look who you've done it with. Look how many kids you God, you're not married. If the enemy calls and says any of those things to you, you hit the reject button because you recognize that this is not from God. This is from the enemy. In another part of the Bible, it actually calls him the accuser of the brethren and sistering. That he stands in a position of accusation over us. And my burden for you This morning, today, is that you will not listen to his calls. Do not listen to it. 
Don't listen to it. Shut it down. Turn it off. Because you are so much more than what he says about you. In fact, I like how, as we wrap up, I like how Paul says it. He says it like this in Ephesians. This is my last text, Ephesians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his might. Put, in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you might, so that you can take your stand against the devil's, what's that word? Say it out loud with me. Yeah, yeah, at home. Say it out loud with me. So you can take a, a, a stand against the devil's schemes. Like he's scheming against you. Like he's literally plotting and strategizing for how he can take you out. Now, it's one thing to, if someone crosses you by accident, and you, you know, you can forgive them. It's another thing if you know that your coworker has actually been scheming against you, planning your demise. Like you, you're not gonna have any patience for that person. If someone's been scheming against your husband, is scheming against your wife, trying to take advantage of you when you're weak, scheming. Listen, if there's someone in your kid's school who is scheming against your kids, listen, y'all not gonna stand for that thing. So why is it now that we entertain the devil's schemes about us? and about our families, and about our husbands, and our wives, and our kids. Why is it that we entertain the devil's schemes? The Bible says, listen, don't, don't entertain his schemes, but, but put on the full armor of God. And we're not have time to go over the full armor, but I just want to take you to, to one particular passage where he says in verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, why? What he say, the helmet of salvation? I believe that Paul, who wrote this text, understood that the devil is trying to get in. He's trying to get in our minds and he's trying to get us to the point where we will feel as though we do not have the hope of our salvation based off of the life that we have lived. And so what Paul says is put on the hope, put on the helmet of hope of your salvation, like be assured that you know, like gird on your mind and around your eyes and your ears, put on the helmet of salvation. So when the devil comes against you with lie after lie after lie, you will reject his truth and you will embrace the truth of God for your life. That you are a conqueror, that you are an overcomer, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you can believe that, then you can live up to that. Not because you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but just because, because your identity leads to activity. Because your beliefs about you are the soil from which behavior grows. So if I believe I'm an overcomer, then guess what, y'all? I'm only going to do overcomer things. If I believe I'm more than a conqueror, guess what, y'all? I'm only going to do overcomer things because I know who I am in Christ. That's my desire for you this morning is that you would understand who you are and that you would take the helmet of salvation and that you would fasten it firm around your head and that you would say, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. No matter what he comes at me with, I will hit the deny, the reject button. I will send the enemy to voicemail because I'm only entertaining the truth of God's word. The way that you can do this on a daily basis is every day you wake up in the morning and you declare those daily declarations over your life. Every day you wake up in the morning 
and you take those daily declarations and you say over yourself, I am a child of God. I am chosen. I am favored. I, he, I am loved. I will live boldly and passionately and courageously. I am, a, I am a, a patient parent. I am a loving husband. I am a loving wife. Like this is who I am. And every day you reinforce your identity by declaring the word of God over your life. So when the enemy comes in with something that doesn't line up with what you have just declared over your life, you reject it and don't even give it any of your attention. Will you do that with me today? Make a commitment in your heart that I'm going to accept what God says about me. You can go to our website, relove.church. Daily declaration page up in the right corner. You can download a declaration that speaks directly to you. Let us know that you did it so we can be praying for you because we believe that in that lies our ability to overcome when we understand who we are in Christ and when we fully understand who God is for us. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I I thank you for your word, which reminds us that the devil from the beginning works tirelessly to distract us, to discourage us with the, with the, with the end goal of bringing about our destruction. But God, today we declare who we are in you, that we are your children, that we are loved, that we are favored that we are righteous in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, have your way in our lives. For that sister right now who has lived under the weight of what someone has called her out of her name all of her life, that brother right now who feels as though he is worthless because he doesn't feel he's making enough money or his production isn't where it should be, for that child right now who's growing up in a divided home who doesn't quite sure, not quite sure who he or she is. Father, for that parent who feels as though they are less than because they're unable to give their kids all that they want to give them. Father, to that individual right now, God, I pray that you would just come into where they are, that you would lift them and that you would remind them that their value and their worth and their placement in this life is not based on what they do, but it's based on what Christ did for us. God, would you remind them that they are more than conquerors? God, that would you remind them that they are more than enough? And God, my prayer is that we would go forth from this moment with certainty and confidence and a conviction and a determination to live up to the truth that you have spoken over us. Oh God, hear our prayer now in Jesus' name, amen.